The point Jesus is making here is that true worship must be in the heart. It's a spiritual experience, honoring, acknowledging, and humbling yourself with God. This is the Bible Speaks to You podcast, episode 129. Today's topic, Worshiping God in Spirit and in Truth. You're listening to The Bible Speaks to You podcast. I'm James Early, your host, and this is the place to be to rediscover the original Christianity of Jesus. Each week, we talk about how Jesus wanted us to think and act and pray and live our daily lives. And we dig down into the mindset of Jesus to discover how we can think and act like he did. The goal is to experience more of Jesus' promise that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Hey there, and welcome again to the Bible Speaks to You podcast. I am so grateful you are here today listening. Thanks so much for tuning in. Today, we're going to talk about how we worship God and what it really means to worship God. There's a wonderful story in chapter 4 of the Gospel of John that is rich with deep insights into the heart of Jesus, and it gives us a clear picture of what Jesus' idea of true worship is. Now, you probably know this story very well, but I'm going to summarize it just a bit. Jesus and his disciples were going back to Galilee, and the best way to get there was to go through Samaria. The Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other. In general, they would not even talk to each other, and if they did, it was not in friendly greeting to one another. There was an age-old rivalry between them. As Jesus and his disciples approached the city of Sychar, which was in Samaria, they came to the well that Jacob had dug there back in the Old Testament. It was around noon, and Jesus sent his disciples into town to get something to eat. Jesus was tired from the journey. He was sitting by the well resting when a woman came with a large pot to get water from the well. Now, this was rather unusual because usually women came in groups in the early morning or late afternoon and never in the heat of the day to get their water from the well. This kind of hints that she really didn't fit into society very well, and the rest of the story sort of corroborates that. Jesus engaged her in conversation by asking for a drink. She notices, of course, right away that he's Jewish and challenges him why he would even speak to her since she's a Samaritan. There's a pretty lively back and forth, which I recommend you read the whole conversation if you haven't recently. They go from talking about a drink of water from Jacob's well to a more spiritual sense of water that nourished the soul. Then the conversation takes a shift when Jesus tells her of her past five husbands and of her current situation. The woman decides Jesus must be a prophet. Here at last is someone who she can talk to, someone who is not shunning her, someone who cares about more than the village gossip and the price of leeks and onions. 
The fact that she instantly brings up a controversial religious issue between the Samaritans and the Jews, where to worship God, shows that it's actually something she's been pondering. When she meets this holy man of God who is willing to talk to her, her question bursts forth. This is in John chapter 4, verse 20. She says to Jesus, So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Don't you just love her boldness to someone she perceives to be a prophet? She didn't shrink back and demure to him. She wanted answers to a question that was deep in her heart. I've been wondering if she maybe already saw the limitations of thinking you had to be in a certain place to worship God. Maybe, in being an outcast of society, she had been forced to worship God in her own private way with no rituals and ceremonies or community. When she asked about the disagreement between the Jews and Samaritans on where to worship, I think she's almost challenging Jesus to defend what she thinks is not the real issue. Of course, there's no way to know exactly what she was thinking, and it would be easy to assume she was not the God-worshipping type considering her lifestyle. But if these things weren't so important to her, why would she ask them so quickly of someone she discerned to be a man of God? The fact that Jesus responds to her in such an open and almost tender way gives a hint that he saw deep in her heart an earnest receptivity to his message, which he did not always find in people. So let's get back to the idea of where to worship. Jesus can see this woman is ready for his bold declaration about worship, which turns on its head the Jewish practice for hundreds of years of needing to be in a physical place to worship God and performing rituals and sacrificial ceremonies. Imagine the thrill in this woman's heart when she hears Jesus assure her, and this is John 4, 21, 23, and 24, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. But the time is coming, indeed, it's here now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus cut right to the heart of what true worship is. The word for worship in Greek is proskoneo. It means to fawn or crouch to, literally or figuratively, to prostrate oneself in homage or do reverence to, to adore, to make obeisance, whether in order to express respect or to make a supplication. It literally means to kneel or prostrate yourself to show reverence for a superior. It doesn't always mean to acknowledge someone as God. It can just mean to kneel down to honor someone, to show respect. But in the context of worshiping God, it means to acknowledge that God is supreme. How do you kneel or prostrate yourself to show reverence to God 
in spirit and in truth. Does it mean you have to get on your knees or prostrate yourself physically? No, it's not about going through specific motions or saying certain words that make true worship. It's about kneeling spiritually, humbling yourself, and acknowledging God in the secret chambers of the heart. Jesus had seen all the Jewish ceremonial rituals and sacrificial practices in the temple in Jerusalem, but he could also discern the thoughts and intents of the heart as well. Just because the priests were going through the right motions and saying the right words didn't mean they were sincere, and it didn't mean they weren't either. The point Jesus is making here is that true worship must be in the heart. It's a spiritual experience, honoring, acknowledging, and humbling yourself with God. Some churches today have more rituals and ceremonies than others. I have friends who find comfort in these practices, and I have friends who have very few rituals in their church. But the human mind can make a ritual out of anything, like always sitting in the same seat at church without even thinking about it. I am so guilty of that sometimes. But I have to say, there have been times when I have asked God where to sit during church, and it made all the difference as to who I met or talked to afterwards and the blessings that came as a result. And have you ever listened to how you say the Lord's Prayer? Sometimes it sounds like a race to get to the end. Other times it can sound more like a list of things to get at the grocery store. We're so familiar with the words, we're just repeating them and not plumbing their depths spiritually. When we just go through the motions or repeat the words at church and there is little or no inspiration, we're not really worshiping God. When Jesus prophesied to the woman at Jacob's well, there would be a day when we would worship in spirit and in truth, it was not actually a new idea. David hints at this very thing in Psalm 51. This is verses 16 and 17. David is talking to God and says, You do not desire a sacrifice, or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. David was talking about what goes on in the heart. And yet, Even though David glimpsed that true worship was about what's going on in your heart, it didn't stop the rituals, the ceremonies, and sacrifices in the way most people thought about worshiping God. When Jesus came along a thousand years later, this form of worship was still prevalent. So let's talk about what it means to worship in spirit and in truth. It doesn't mean getting all worked up emotionally. It's not just about what's going on around you or with your body. It's not just about your actions and words. It's about what's going on in your heart. You can pray, you can sing, you can shout amen and words of praise to God. You can go through all kinds of motions with incredible fervency. But none of this, in and of itself, means you're actually worshiping God in spirit and in truth. Now, there's no formula for worshiping God the way Jesus hopes for us, but the Bible does give lots of guideposts along the way. The prophet Micah echoes what David wrote in Psalm 51. This is Micah 6, 6 through 8. 
he says, With what shall I come before the Lord, and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves of a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? What does God require of us? What pleases God? Justice, mercy, humility. Micah has put his finger on a great truth here. True worship includes treating others with justice and mercy and not just being humble in your relationship with God. When you show love to someone, you are actually worshiping God. You are effectively coming into God's presence when you express love to someone. Why is this worship? Because you are reflecting the love of God toward others. As a child of God, made in his image and likeness, you are treating others justly and with mercy, just as God treats us all. You are glorifying God, worshiping God, by reflecting his nature, by being like God in your daily life. Worshiping God in spirit is not just what you do in church, but how you live your life. Worshiping God in truth is knowing and acknowledging who God is. Jesus knew and acknowledged who God is in every step he took, in every person he talked to, and everyone he healed. He didn't seek his own glory, but God's glory. The way he lived his life was the highest form of worship possible. Every time you get to know God more intimately, you are worshiping in truth. Every time you experience God's all-encompassing love and acknowledge God as the source of this love and that you are not, you are worshiping God in spirit. And when you treat others with justice and mercy and love them with God's love, you bring an extra dimension to worshiping God. True worship begins with what's going on in your heart. How do you worship God in your heart? And by the way, have you ever stopped to ask, well, what does the word worship actually mean? Well, it simply means acknowledging the worth or worthiness, the value of something or someone. In this sense, God is certainly worthy of our love, our honor, our reverence, God's worth or value is beyond human comprehension. It's infinite and eternal. To worship God in your heart, in spirit, and in truth, whether you're at church, at home in your prayer chair, at work, at school, on a hike, in a traffic jam, or anywhere you might find yourself, true worship is experiencing and acknowledging God's presence and expressing God's nature. And there are so many ways to do this. My wife encourages people to make a list of 300 qualities and attributes of God and then to ponder them and express them in your daily life. To me, this is a wonderful way to worship God. And don't stop with 300. She's got a list of over 1,200 qualities and attributes of God which she consciously strives to embrace in her daily life. 
another way that's helped me to worship God in spirit and in truth is to think about the spiritual essence of something and see how it comes originally from God. For example, one day I was on the subway in New York City. I started being grateful for the platform where you could wait for the next subway car. I was grateful for the sliding doors, the windows and the seats, and everything else on the subway cars, especially the fact that they could move so many people quickly to so many different places in the city. But then I started thinking about the spiritual essence of what doors, windows, seats, etc. were. Doors can represent opportunities provided by God that we walk through. Windows became to me the way God lets in spiritual light to show us what we need to see. You kind of get the idea. I was taking my gratitude for these things on the subway and turning it into gratitude for the spiritual idea behind the thing. And in the process, these spiritual ideas all pointed back to God. I was rejoicing in God's presence. And in that sense, I was worshiping God. These are just a couple of ways to worship in spirit and in truth. And I have to say here, though, that if I just repeated this activity of gratitude over and over the same way every day, it could easily become a ritual and cease to be a time of inspiration and worshiping spiritually and just become a mindless exercise of the human mind. That is not worshiping God. I encourage you to take an honest look at how you worship God. Maybe you're not practicing any specific material rituals at church, but have you ever become ritualistic in the way you say your prayers, silently or out loud, for example? Jesus has some pretty harsh words to say about just repeating a bunch of words and thinking this is prayer. This is in Matthew 6, 7. When you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Be fresh in your prayers. Be inspired in the way you worship God. When we go through the outward motions of worship with rituals, ceremonies, or whatever form it might take, all too often the human mind may be satisfied and think it has worshipped God. But we are no different than we were before. True spiritual worship transforms us from the inside out. We are more spiritual. We are more loving. Paul says in Romans, and think about this in the light of how we worship. This is Romans 12 too. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. The more we worship in spirit and in truth, the more we'll experience God's presence and love in our own lives, and the more others will feel this love. We're still working on our prayer project, 22 Ways to Pray with the Mindset of Jesus in 2022. This is week 13. And we're going to focus on the fact that Jesus knew his disciples could understand his message and preach it to others and heal like he did. This is from Matthew 10, verses 7 and 8, 
Jesus is saying to his disciples before he sends them out to preach and heal, he says, As you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. What was Jesus' mindset that he knew his followers, and that includes you and me, could preach the gospel and heal the sick just as he did. If Jesus knew his followers could preach and heal, what does that tell us about how we should think about our abilities as well as the abilities of others? So this week, please pray to embrace this mindset of knowing that you can do what Jesus tells you you can do. Once you embrace this mindset, then pray with this mindset, knowing that you can follow Jesus' example. If he knew we could do it, then we can. And if you would like to get a copy of the entire list of 22 ways to pray with the mindset of Jesus in 2022, you'll find a link for that in today's show notes that you can click on to download that copy. Once you click that link, just check your download folder. I want to thank you so much for listening today. I'm so grateful you tuned in. And if you enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll share it with a friend. You may know someone who would really appreciate today's message. If you're new to the Bible Speaks to You podcast, I encourage you to subscribe to my email notification list. That way you'll never miss an episode and you'll get any special announcements. If you're listening on your smartphone or handheld device, You'll see a link at the bottom of the show notes that says subscribe to the podcast. Just click that, fill out the form, and you're all set. And if you're listening on your computer, just click on the subscribe tab in the menu bar. And as a special thank you for subscribing, I'll send you a free prayer guide I've put together called Praying with the Mindset of Jesus. Just click on the link and check your download folder. If you have any questions or comments, or you just need a little spiritual encouragement, please reach out to me. The best way is to go to the website and click on the contact tab up in the menu bar, then fill out the form and I'll be in touch. I would love to hear from you. I want to thank you so much for your support. So many of you have told me how much you've appreciated the podcast and how you've shared it and how you've taken the ideas and put them into practice in your own lives. That means so much to me. And a very special thank you to you if you have supported the Bible Speaks to You podcast financially. Your support helps cover the monthly production costs, and I am so grateful. As always, I'll have in the show notes on the website the Bible references for today's episode. You can find those at thebiblespeakstoyou.com forward slash one, two, nine. This is episode 129. Again, thanks so much for listening. I am so grateful you tuned in today. I'm James Early with the Bible Speaks to You podcast. Have a great week. Take care. We'll see you next time. God bless.